Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Tuesday, February 14th, we are studying John chapter 8, verses 21 to 29. Jesus' audience continues to misunderstand him, so he continues to teach them the truth about who he is and what he has come to do. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Joel Heckman. Pastor Heckman serves at St. John's Lutheran Church in Okarchi, Oklahoma. Pastor Heckman, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thank you for having me, Tim. So we get started today. Let's talk context. We're in the middle of a conversation that Jesus is having. What should we know about the Gospel of John, John chapter 8, to help us into this text today? Well, I'll say quite a bit, so I'll try to keep it a little brief. But we're going through uh, particularly a section that asks or really affirms the identity of Jesus as the Son but it's not something that's isolated to this portion. Uh, we see a heavy focus on that in chapter 8, as we're going to see, especially in this text, where this question comes to a head in relation um, to Jesus talking with his Jewish hearers. But go back, the, the entire chapters 1 through 7 are really dealing with this same thing, just a little bit differently, where we're asking the question, who is Jesus? And that Actually, that very question is asked in our pericope for today. Who are you? Is what they ask. And I say that's a perfect question to ask. And Jesus has been answering it through these first seven chapters. You look at chapters one through seven, um, the very first verses that prologue Jesus is the Word with the Father. Um, he is God and he is the word become flesh we see those famous i am sayings a lot of people are probably very familiar with those i am the bread of life um, i am the good shepherd uh, not all of those are in john one through seven but we see a handful of them um and we look at everything that's happening on the way to to the text today and jesus is revealing his identity a lot of a lot through his actions, certainly. We probably see that a little bit more in a gospel like the Gospel of Mark. Um, Luther said one of the things he appreciated about John's gospel is the way that um, Jesus takes his words um, and does a lot of teaching on who he is with his sermons and his teaching. Not that he doesn't do the same actions he does in the other gospels, but there's just a little bit heavier focus on Jesus teaching about himself. Um with his hearers. So we move through chapters one through seven. We arrive here just after the woman caught in adultery and then the saying, I am the light of the world, where Jesus is making that piercing division between really those who reject him and those who believe in him by the gift of faith. Um, light really pierces through the darkness and makes a separation. And that's only going to be further reinforced with our text for today. And then if you jump ahead um, to chapters, you know, really the rest of the gospel, he's really just cementing 
everything he said here. I am the resurrection and the life. Um, I and the Father are one. Whoever sees me sees him who sent me, the Father. And then, of course, there's just that beautiful verse in 20, verse 31. What's the whole purpose of this gospel? Well, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is who? Uh, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And as we're going to see, um, Jesus is giving that identity to these people and they don't believe and they don't have life in his name. Um, and this whole section is really marked by the confrontational nature um, of Jesus' teaching, but the truth of his teaching and the, the unfaithful response of his Jewish hearers. And it's really interesting. I, I know we're, gonna, uh, we're not going to get into this today. That'll be probably the next recording session. But right after we get done with our section today, uh, verse 30 says, many believed in him and then Jesus turns around and talks to these people who believed in him, um, who are apart from these people who are rejecting him. And then he gives them this teaching and they say, well, uh, I'm not so sure anymore. Um, so really the whole thing uh, that we're dealing with today is who is Jesus? He is the son of God. And what is the proper response to him? It's faith. And we just don't see that happening today. And We'll talk a little bit about what is God's gracious um, doing that gives us the response, the proper response, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit, giving us faith to trust that Jesus is who he says he is, um, the Son of God and everything else he says that we're going to get into a little bit more today. Hmm. You, you mentioned the I am statements of Jesus, and we recently heard one in just the previous text, I am the light of the world. Do you, do you see that I am statement having bearing on what we're going to keep reading here in John 8 today? Yeah, absolutely. And interestingly, I'll mention this a little bit later, The you know, if you hear I am, one of the first things that probably jumps to your mind is Moses burning bush. He's asking, I'm going to your people. And if they say, who sent you here? Um, God gives them the name I am who I am. And that would have been my first connection with the text, which I believe there still is a strong connection there. But a couple of commentators made the good point that it's actually tied heavily to Isaiah 43 when God is describing himself and it uses essentially the same language Jesus is using here. Um, and he's going to, he's not going to use that phrase, I am who I am in this text, but he comes all, as close as you can, really. Um, he just says, I am he is the phrase he uses. But looking at the Greek text, it just reads out, very similarly to the way um, G the words of God would have come through um, in Exodus, uh, I am who I am. So that has a lot of bearing in this where he's just really supplementing and, and building on everything he said before. And he just bears down with his hearers that I am the son of God. I am equal with the father. Um, and we don't quite get to it here, of course, but just at the end of chapter 8, for more context, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Um, mm. So in this text and then just the rest of the book, that does bear fairly heavily in understanding who Jesus is. All right, so let's go ahead and turn to the text that we have for today. Again, we're starting in John chapter 8, verse 21. So he, Jesus, said to them again, I am going away. 
and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself, since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. That's our text for today. That is John chapter 8, verses 21 to 29. So, Pastor Heckman, let's talk about those first couple of verses. Again, we're, we're picking up in the middle of a conversation, and we, we get that back and forth again in our text today. Jesus says, I'm going away. You will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. That's pretty harsh language from Jesus. What's going on here? So anytime you read the text, obviously, you want to be asking questions of the text. Um, Like you said, what's going on? And more specifically, he says, I'm going away. Well, where is he going? Um, You will seek me. Well, how will they seek him? Um, You will die in your sin. Well, why? And all these questions come. So let's just deal with these kind of in turn, um, where is Jesus going that the Jews who are hearing him can't follow? Really, he's referring to his death on the cross, and he's going to speak of that a little bit later here uh, when he talks about being lifted up. Um, He is going to the Father ultimately, and that path will take him through the cross um, to fulfill the price for our sin, to pay that, and where he's going, um, they cannot come. what is that talking about? Well, they can't follow him to the Father because he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father unless he comes through me. So they are going to seek the Messiah. They're going to seek the fulfillment of the scriptures that they ought to be familiar with, which they probably are. But because they are rejecting Jesus, Jesus is flatly saying, you're not going to be able to follow me because you are rejecting me. Um, Where I'm going, you can't follow because you aren't believing the things I'm telling you. Um, They won't be able to find him. And interestingly, um, just in preparation, one of the commentaries noted, um, the language of seeking in that day was synonymous with the study of the Torah. So... Hmm. Go back to John 138, the question is posed, what are you seeking? Um, Jesus asks this to the disciples. Mm. Uh, So what are the Jews seeking? They're seeking the Messiah. They're actively looking for the fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies. But, you know, he's literally staring them in the face and they are rejecting him. Um, And Jesus is saying, you're looking for the Messiah in the scriptures, but you're not going to find him there if you're rejecting me you'll find you know prophecy that's pointing towards the messiah you'll find um, the prophets saying he's on his way he's going to deliver you Um, but if you don't see that i am the fulfillment of those prophecies um, and you reject me that's 
that's the main issue here. That's the main sin that he's talking about. Um, so they'll look in the scriptures to find the Messiah, um, but they're really, in a way, just looking in the wrong place because the scriptures really point to Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the fulfillment of God's prophecies. Um, and it's interesting, and we'll get to this when we get to down into verse 24, but Jesus says, here you will die in your sin, singular. And then he moves on a couple of times. He says in verse 24, you will die in your sins. Uh, and I, I was wondering, why does he use the singular here in the plural? What's the difference? Um, you, you could probably point a little bit to the difference between um, original sin and actual sin, where original sin is that corruption that um, was handed down to us from Adam and Eve, that um, sinful inclination against God that makes us enemies of God. Um, and then actual sins are those sins that we commit thought, word, and deed. But I think it's a little bit more specific here in terms of the context where the sin to which Jesus ref is referring is ultimately rejection of him. Um, mm -hmm. that's, that is the chief sin in John's gospel that is, um, you know, really brought out by Jesus, especially in this context. And then all other sins kind of stem from that rejection. And I think that's what he's doing here in 821. He's saying, you're not on board with think, you know, what I'm saying. Um, and that is leading to all these other sins uh, where you're not searching the scriptures faithfully. Um, you're rejecting me. You're treating me with hostility. All that comes from the ultimate sin of rejecting Jesus as the son of God. Um, and yeah. you know, maybe one last thing to focus on, um, the Jews ask, will he kill himself since he says where I'm going, you cannot come. Um, and we'll, I guess we'll get to that in a little bit more detail, um, in the next verses or the next statement section, but really that's kind of a, a an enormous misinterpretation of what he's saying. Suicide was considered a very dark sin by Jewish scholars. Um, and the Jews are really being a little bit insulting of Jesus saying, well, we're going to do as little as possible to understand what you're saying. So are you just saying you're going to go away by killing yourself? Well, fine. See a good riddance. <laughs> That's kind of what their attitude is. Um, and so we come back to it, you know, by God's grace and God's word and God's spirit, we have faith that Jesus is the Messiah to whom the scriptures testify. So it's only by the gracious working of God. Um, that we can search those same scriptures and understand that Jesus is who he says he is. Um, but here, this is just a very harsh critique of the Jews because they are not searching correctly for Jesus. They are rejecting him wholesale. Um, so where he is going to the Father, they can't come without faith. And that's really what he's getting at here. Mm -hmm. I, I think the connection that you're making between the sin in verse 21 and the sins in verse 24 is really helpful. And just to, to back up what you were saying, going back to John chapter 3, you know, we know John 3.16, for God so loved the world. But as Jesus continues, especially into verse 18, he says, whoever believes in him, that is in the Son, whoever believes in the Son is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So there, very plainly, Jesus differentiates between two, those who believe and those who do not. And I think that's that's exactly what's going on here in verse 21. You will die in your sin means you will die in this unbelief in which you are condemned already because you have not believed in the Son of God. 
And I also really appreciate you connecting verse 21 to the language of seeking back in chapter one, whom, who, whom do you seek or, or what are you seeking? That was the first thing we heard Jesus say in the gospel of John. And we talked about at the time how that really kind of sets the stage then. You know, what are you seeking from Jesus? Are you seeking him in the way that he comes and for the things that he comes to give? And here in this section, we're seeing what happens when you don't seek Jesus in faith, if you seek him in some other way, the result is is deadly. And it, I mean, so yes, seek Jesus, but make sure you seek him as he comes and in the way that he comes with the gifts that he has, not on your own terms, because when you seek him in that way, that's what's happening here. So, I mean, you're making great connections to the other parts of, of the gospel of John and this, you know, misunderstanding that they have, and, and perhaps even an insult. Uh, we've seen misunderstanding throughout when Jesus teaches, people seem to ask the wrong questions, but that doesn't stop Jesus from teaching. So in, in verse 23, he makes a pretty sharp distinction between their source and his source. He says, you're from below, I'm from above. We've heard him use language like this before. What is the point he's making when he, he speaks about these two different sources, either from below or from above? Well, really, he's talking about a difference in allegiance. You could you could take this a couple different ways, but I think in the context, especially this, the these phrases back to back, he says, um, you are from below, I am from above. Now, if you took that on its own, some people think, well, is he talking about hell? Is he talking about you know the dust from which you came? Um, is he talking about origins here? Like I came from above, you came from below. But look at the very next phrase. Um, you are of this world. I am not of this world, which really mimics when Jesus says my kingdom is not of this world, especially when he's betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's arrested. Um, and he says, I could, you know, establish my kingdom here. You know, even during his trial, uh, he's saying my kingdom is not of this world. Because I I haven't come to show allegiance to men, my allegiance is to my Father um, who sent me, and so really what he's talking about is your allegiance is to this world, mine is to my Father, and this really cuts through to where is your identity, where do you find your meaning, your purpose, your comfort, really in many ways, and he's saying you're not finding it in the proper place, your faith is misplaced, um, you. Are rejecting the very um, revelation of God who has come and staring you in the face um, and you've replaced him with whatever God is yours um, your works you know your piety um, your faithfulness and you know hearing the scriptures in the synagogue things like that and he's just making this very blunt <laughs> distinction here mm. um, if you were um, you know, if you had allegiance to me, I wouldn't be making this distinction. Um, you would be of the same place that I am. Um, you would be children of the Heavenly Father, but you're not. Um, so I, th I think really that's what the distinction is here, not origin, but allegiance. Okay, so the distinction between more allegiance rather than origin, you are from below, I am from above, you're of this world, I am not of this world. Then we get into to verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins. You mentioned this already. For unless you, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Tell us more about what Jesus is saying in, in these, these words. Mm -hmm. So um, a bit of a 
more detailed translation might help make sense of it. So I, I kind of fleshed it out a little bit more. Unless you come to believe that I am, um, and, and the text says I am he, but the, the original Greek just has this phrase, ego a me, I am, it's an emphatic, um, I myself am who I say I am, essentially. If you don't believe this, you will die because of your sins, which stem from rejecting that I am he, I am who I say I am. Um, and this is where I want to draw Isaiah back into the folds because there's there's a, a helpful portion of one of the commentaries I I did a little research with. Um, D.A. Carson writes this, um, the majority of interpreters today rightly see that um, however ambiguous the expression remains in verses 24 um, and 28, the proper background to egoimi in John um, is to Isaiah 40, verse 55, 40 through 55, especially Isaiah 43, verse 10. Um, in the Hebrew original, God discloses himself in the repeated declaration, I am he, which is exactly what you see in mm -hmm. um, the text for today. It's the expression that um, constantly comes up in the Greek translation of the Old Testament when they use the words, I am. Um, Isaiah 43, verse 10 is especially close to the John's language where, Jesus, where the Lord says through Isaiah, um, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. And a really important point I think he makes is in the next sentence, in Isaiah, the, t the context demands that the phrase, I am he, means I am the same. I am forever the same, and perhaps even I am Yahweh. For others to apply this title to themselves was blasphemous and an invitation to face the wrath of God. For Jesus to apply such words to himself is tantamount to a claim to deity. Once it is clear that the other potential meanings of I am are contextually impossible. This does not mean that Jesus and Yahweh of the Old Testament are identified without division, uh, since verse 28 is immediately followed by 29, where Jesus distinguishes himself from the Father. But this tension between unqualified statements affirming the full deity of the word or of the son and those which distinguish the word from the father are typical of the fourth gospel and are present from the very first verse. So sorry for the lengthy snippet there. I thought it summed it up very well. Jesus is alluding um, to especially Isaiah. Uh, you could make a very strong case. He's alluding to the words of his father. Um, in I in uh, Genesis or excuse me Exodus, but um, we see here he's going back and describing himself exactly the way God describes himself in Isaiah forty three verse ten. And as we're gonna see, um, Jesus' criticism in just a moment is that the Jews have had the testimony from the past of the prophets um, to explain who the Messiah is, and yet they refuse to accept both the prophets and Jesus. Um, and he's, he's not really just saying, I am God here. He is, um, he's making that in addition to things like, I am the resurrection and the life. Only God can bring life 
from death. And Jesus can do that. I am the good shepherd. You know, I'm the one who leads my people. I am the son of God who has power over death and I forgive sins and I shepherd my people. I reveal the father. So he's making these very bold claims and without a faithful understanding of what he's saying, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty obvious what the Jewish response would be. He's like, you're saying you're equal with God. How dare you say these things? Uh, and they really, in a way, um, kind of respond in, in different ways with mockery. Uh, you say, oh, you're going to go kill yourself. And then they, it's, it's almost like the question in the next verse is when they say, who are you? It almost feels like they're trying to antagonize Jesus because he's been saying it so many times yeah. um, to this point, which we'll get to in a second. What exactly is Jesus set up until now? Um, but we see just this mockery here and and it's interesting how do you you know how do we respond to mockery with christian truth claims um because that's very much alive and well in our culture today um there's a form of humor i I was just thinking of this it's called ironic humor uh that's very prevalent where people if they want to pick apart an argument or um try to uh, i guess oppose a truth claim or deal with it they don't they don't really look at the logic behind it, the reasoning behind it. They don't have a, a reasonable conversation. So a lot of the times they just sit back and make fun of it. Uh, they mock it. They laugh at it. They say, what a ridiculous thing to say, which is in a way what's happening here. Um, and so we, we ask, well, how are we supposed to deal with that? What does Jesus do? He just doubles down and speaks the truth. Um, he he says, I am who I've been saying. I'm not going to change what I'm saying just because you're rejecting it or mocking it, which is sometimes our temptation to kind of back away and say, well, they're very convincing in their mockery. Uh, maybe there's something wrong with what I believe. Um, or, you know, I'm just so discouraged because people are rejecting me. Um, this is actually a rather encouraging example of Jesus dealing with this criticism and saying, you know, you can, you can reject me all you want, but the truth is the truth. Um, I am the way, the truth and the life. And, um, it's not contingent on opinions or, you know, shifting values or even the passage of time, which is a really interesting take. A lot of people have, you know, oh, this, this book, the Bible, or these statements were true a long time ago, but this, you know, this is the 21st century. No, tr truth is truth. You know, whether it, we're looking at it where Jesus spoke it or in our modern time. And he's really encouraging us to be faithful and steadfast, even in the midst of rejection that he's um, caught up in here. Um, and he just sticks to, I am exactly who I'm saying, the son of God, whether you believe it or not. Yeah, Jesus speaks the truth and lets the truth speak for itself. So we too confess the truth of who Jesus is sticking to what he has taught us. We're going to keep doing that on the other side of the break here on Sharper Iron. You're listening to us on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Joel Heckman this morning about John chapter 8. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? 
Imagine a college that is affordable, a college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran, a college that won't take a dime of federal funding, a college that teaches the best of our Western heritage, a college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College, a college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org, subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, February 14th. We are studying John chapter 8, verses 21 to 29 with Pastor Joel Heckman. He serves at St. John's Lutheran Church in Okarchi, Oklahoma. Pastor Heckman, prior to the break, we left off in verse 24, where Jesus speaks to those who do not believe. He says, I tell you, unless you are going to die in your sins, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. They respond with more questions, and this one really, I think, is probably at the heart of the whole conversation. They say to Jesus, who are you? Take us into this next interaction. Yeah, and it's a great question, really. Who are you really, Jesus? You've been saying all this, but just tell us who you really are. And the answer is the same, of course. It's, right. You know, it's a good question. It's the central question we need to be asking about Jesus. Um but we'll see the Jews really aren't actually interested in Jesus' answer. Uh, evident, you know, all throughout history, people have always been asking, who is Jesus? And I think the best thing that we can do um, is really take Jesus at his word and let his word do its own talking. Um, a lot of people have their own ideas about who Jesus is or who he ought to be. And a lot of the heretical, unfaithful answers stem from getting away from what Jesus has said about himself. So what does he say here? Um, He responds to the question, who are you? He says, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. Now, what is the beginning a reference to? Is it some something Jesus has been saying prior to this interaction? I think the context lends itself to it's just what Jesus has been saying since the inception of his public ministry. Uh, what has Jesus been communicating through his words and actions about who he is with you know, these miracles that he's been doing, these um, healings, these statements, these, you know, equating himself with God. And, and you look at, I mean, I, I listed over you know, a dozen references that you could point to. And this is just to a particular crowd. All the words of Jesus up to here could, you know, make an entire sermon. Um, But what has he been saying? Chapter two, I'm the son of the father. Um, He refers to himself as the temple, um, tear it down and I will raise it up again. So he's saying um, he is um, the place where Israel ought now to worship. He is the one they ought to worship. Chapter five, a lot of references to I'm the son of the father. Um, I'm the son of God. I've been sent by the father. I'm equal with the father. I am the one about whom the scriptures bear witness. Um, I'm the source of life. I'm the one who has come in the father's name. Um, Even in chapter five, verse 46, I am the one about whom Moses wrote. So he doesn't just say the scriptures. He gets very particular with the one about whom Moses wrote an incredibly important figure to these Jewish hearers, and that's an un, you know, undeniable connection that he makes there. Um, he says he's the light of the world. But I think most importantly, what comes up most uh, that I found, at least um, looking at these first eight chapters leading up to this, is he says, I am the son of the father, um, in addition to being equal with the father. So he's saying 
I'm equal with the Father, but I am not the Father. I am someone completely distinct in personhood. Um, and this really reveals some of our doctrine of the Trinity, where he's not mentioning the Holy Spirit, but that's very evident later on when he, when he mentions the paraclete, um, the helper that he will send, the Holy Spirit. Um, he's really, he's teaching them something that is completely foreign to them. They're thinking, well, there's only God, the only God is, you know, our father. He's saying, no, God is revealing who he is through me. Um, and he's saying, uh, I am one God, three persons. And, you know, if you're the son of God, there has to be a father. Um, and then the God, this God also reveals that there's spirit. So, um, Jesus is making it plain. I am who I say I am. Um, I am the son of God. That's the most important thing you can know about me. Um, and really, we should judge Jesus and talk about him based on what he has said about himself, not our own thoughts on what he ought to be like, which is what, what the Jews seem to be doing here. It's a, you're just an ordinary human being. You can't possibly back up these statements with truth, can you? Um, but as we see... Um, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, Jesus' vindication comes ultimately at the resurrection. And even then, people still reject him, which is just incredible. Um, you see him back up, I'm going to die and rise in three days. Um, I am the way and the truth and the life, and you come to the Father through me. I have power over sin and death and the devil, and they still reject him. But you know, from the beginning, I've been saying who I am, and he's basically just saying, just pay attention to what I've been saying this entire time and keep paying attention because I'm going to keep saying it. Um, so the question is, you know, who would you say is Jesus? If someone came up to you and asked, how would you answer that question? I would encourage our hearers to ponder that a little more than we can today. It's just if someone asked you, who is Jesus? What would you tell them about Jesus? And I would say, just let the words of Jesus speak for themselves. I'd encourage you, obviously, to immerse yourselves in those words, especially John's gospel, where he has very a lot of beautiful sayings, but you'd say Jesus of Nazareth is the son of God. He came, he was conceived and born and lived and died. He rose from the dead for the salvation of the world. And those who trust by faith that he died and rose for them um, have the life and forgiveness and peace and deliverance from death that Jesus promises. And that's ultimately the, the whole point of Jesus and everything he's saying here, it's such a big contrast with what he's saying is going to happen to the Jewish hearers. He's saying, you will die in your sins because you're rejecting me. So what's true for those who trust in Jesus? It's the complete opposite. You will not die in your sins. You will not suffer and die and spend eternity apart from the Father. You will be uh, with Jesus for eternity because of God's gift of faith in this Son of God. So a great question, who is Jesus, to ponder further, but the most direct and faithful answer you can get is, what does Jesus say about himself as he's saying to these Jews here? Right, and listen to Jesus' words to, as he gives his answer, and then confess those words to the world. That is the the task of the Christian church. Now, as, as Jesus continues then, in verse 26, he says, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. In verse 27, John tells us that they didn't understand what this was talking about. So help us, Pastor Hackman, to understand what Jesus is talking about in verse 26. Well, kind of going into it a little bit, there's some question, especially with the um, 
but he who sent me is true, that break, almost a break in thought um, where Jesus is saying, I could say a lot more and I have a lot more to judge, but I'm going to do this. And I guess a misinterpretation of that would be, well, Jesus wants to say something. He's kind of got his own agenda, but like, I can't do that because I have to do what God tells me to. Uh, my father tells me, which is not true. Um, and most explicitly, we could kind of um, dispel that unfaithful interpretation by going a little bit further in chapter eight to that phrase I mentioned before. Um, I and the father are one. Truly, you know, I say to you uh, before Abraham was, I am. Um, and I and the father are one actually comes a little bit later, but Jesus is perfectly united in will and purpose with the Father. So he's not saying, I want to do something here, but I can't because it's not what the Father wants. What he's really saying, he's saying, I could say a lot about you, which would be a judgment on your own faithfulness, but that's already happened. Um, you know, the judgment against you comes straight from the scriptures that you're searching. The prophets that you read already testified to me and to God's truthfulness, God's faithfulness. Um, all I need to do is say what my father has given me to say. Um, so he's saying, I, I could say a lot, but it's already been said. I don't need to say that. I'm just going to say what the father has given me. So it's really an indictment against them. You've got it right in front of you, the scriptures. It's there, but you are not seeing what it's telling you. Um, and uh, just unpacking it a little bit more going on um, through the rest of verse 26. Um, declare to the world, Jesus is saying, I'm not just here to deal with you. I have come to take away the sin of the world. That's what John the Baptist says all the way back in chapter one, which Jesus is backing up here. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, uh, or John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, which really testifies to Jesus' love for all of his creation. Um, he came to take the sins of humanity away um, and ultimately uh, go to Romans 8. Jesus came to restore the entire creation as well. So he's, he's hinting at that a little bit here. Um, and when he says, what I have heard from him, um, it's, it's very interesting that you know Jesus is this messenger of the Father, re revealing who God is more clearly than anything else, revealing what his plan for salvation is. Um, and many people understand, you know, the references to the angel or messenger of the Lord in the Old Testament. That was the, the pre-incarnate Christ um, revealing God to the Old Testament people. Here it's explicit. He's saying, I am the revelation of God. Um, Colossians 1 says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So it's essentially saying, if you look at Jesus, you are looking at who God is. You are seeing the Father his nature, his love, his compassion for his people, his law, his gospel. Look away from Jesus and look to someone else to try and understand God, and you're going to be on the wrong path. You, you, you can't know God apart from Jesus, uh, which is really key. You know, we talk about Jesus saying, I'm the son of God. He's also saying, I'm the only way you can really know about God's plan for salvation and who God is. Um, and divine revelation is the only way we can know who God is and have saving faith in him. Uh, if God doesn't come and do something in our world, come down and show something of himself in our world, we are completely in the dark because of our sin. We can't 
you know, go and sit in a dark room and close our eyes real tight um, and just think really hard and come up with the right thoughts about God. We don't have that ability. We are dead in our sin. So what does God in his grace do? He sends the son of God, as we see in this gospel, to say, I am the son of the father and I have come to give you life and I have come to give you the gifts of God. Um, so they didn't understand. And that's really the huge problem here. And it, I, just one last thing with this, this couple verses here. Um, number, verse 27 says, they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the father. It makes me think of Jesus' interaction with uh, Nicodemus in chapter three, where he says, before John 3, 16, he says, um, you know, you must be born from above. You must be born again. And Nicodemus is confused. And so Jesus says, you are a teacher of Israel and you did not understand these things um, as a, you know, an indictment against Nicodemus for kind of the same thing here, not searching the scriptures diligently and seeing Jesus as the fulfillment of them. Um, so um, how do we understand these things? Um we have the law, we have the prophets, we have Jesus, and by God's grace, we believe who he says he is. He is who he says he is for our salvation because of God's gift of faith worked in us through his word and his spirit. Um, so what a comfort. They didn't understand by God's grace. We do, and we cling to Jesus for life, um, and he gives us life um, and forgiveness and salvation. Hmm. I'm glad you brought up Nicodemus and the, the way Jesus speaks to him, because I, I was thinking about Nicodemus earlier in verse 23, when Jesus talks about you're from below, I'm from above. And the way Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born from above or born again. But I think both of those things are kind of playing together there, especially that being born from above. How else can any of us know these things unless God gives us that birth through the water and the spirit that he promises? So it's a good reminder for us not to to place ourselves over these people who are listening to Jesus and don't believe as if somehow we're better than them. The only reason we do believe is because God has graciously given us that birth from above so that we do see Jesus truly and therefore see the Father as well, because to see Jesus and know Jesus is to see and to know the Father. That's the the positive, the flip side of, of what we're seeing here, the negative aspect of unbelief. They don't understand what Jesus is talking about. But Jesus, of course, will continue to teach, and that is what he does there in verse 28. And these seem like really important words here, Pastor Heckman, as Jesus says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, there's another connection to Jesus' talk with Nicodemus, this idea of the Son of Man being lifted up. And then I I'm, I think, I don't have the Greek right in front of me right now, but I think we're going to get another I am here in this. You will know that I am he. I'm, I'm guessing that's another ego, a me, I am. So pretty important words from Jesus to close out our text today. Take us into to verses 28 and 29. Yep. So we have a reference, a very clear reference here, at least, <laughs> you know, thank you, Lord, for giving us this understanding uh, to Jesus' crucifixion. When it says lifted up, you know, the Son of Man is lifted up. Um, and it's not them hoisting Jesus on his shoulders and and, you know, carrying him off the field or something like that. This is a clear reference to the suffering and death of Jesus on the cross. Um, and you mentioned back, go back to chapter three, verse 14. Um, Jesus says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. And here's the purpose. There's a purpose clause here that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Um, similar to John 20, 31, these things are written that you may believe 
he is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. And then fast forward to chapter 12, verse 32. Um, Jesus makes reference to this again. <clears throat> he says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people from my, uh, will draw all people to myself. Um, now that could be a reference to the ascension. I'm not sure if it's a clear reference to the crucifixion, but it's referencing not just being lifted up for the crucifixion. It might also be referencing Jesus ascending and then drawing people to himself. I think it's a reference to the crucifixion, but here it's very clear when I am lifted up, um, the son of man has been lifted up. Then you will know that I am he getting back to again, that ego, a me in the Greek, I am, um, and really equating himself with God, right? Um, and I've, I've heard some people talk about Jesus and his enthronement on the cross. And that's an incredibly important theme here in John's gospel. Jesus is going to be lifted up on the cross and the powerful parallel is the serpent in the wilderness. Um, when the people of Israel grumble that, um, I believe it's there's a lack of water um, and they begin to test God in the wilderness. Um, fiery serpents break out and begin to kill the people. And then God um, creates a bronze servant. Uh, and when they look at it, when they trust that, when God says, if you look at this, you'll have life, it's the faith um, that heals them. And so Jesus is saying, uh, I will be lifted up for the same purpose to save people um, from their sins. Um, I'm not going to do this the way you think I am, though, which is really interesting. I mean, if you... Um, you know, if you had to think how, you know, the Messiah, the son of God, the, you know, the, the ruler of all things, the Lord of the universe, how would he be most clearly identified? Um, or what would you have him do to demonstrate most clearly that he is who he says he is? And Jesus says the most clear revelation of who God is and, and what he is, you know, doing for you and me is on the cross where, um, I, you know, my glory is in suffering and death um, on behalf of my people. My throne is not an earthly throne with, you know, diamonds and gold and all this, you know, elaborate decoration. My throne is the cross because that's where my power um, is shown most clearly in my suffering and my death. Um, I didn't have to do this. I wanted to do this for you. Um, I suffered and died because that's the price of sin. Um, you know, if you ever want ask, what did I deserve for my sin? What do I deserve for my sin um, that has been taken away? Just look at what Je happens when Jesus is lifted up um, on the cross. And um, you'll see this is, uh, this is just so beautiful. Um, you're going to know that I am he. I am who I say I am most clearly when I die. And then, of course, following that when I am raised from the dead. But interestingly, he just says here, when I am lifted up, when the son of man is lifted up, he doesn't make any reference to um, the resurrection, but that doesn't mean that it should be separated somehow. They are um, uh, inseparable in their importance. You can't have the death of Jesus without the resurrection. You can't have the resurrection without the death. But I think he's calling a special, you know, a special importance to the crucifixion because it just defies the Jewish expectations for what would a Messiah do if he came? Um, and he, 
he's just going full-blown revelation of God. I came so that you might have life, but I'm going to do it in a very, very strange but powerful way. I'm going to give my life for you. Um, And then he looks, you know, one one thing I'd like to finish with here, um, Jesus is doing nothing on his own authority, which again is, that doesn't speak to um, an inferiority uh, of Jesus to the Father. Um, It doesn't say, oh, the Father is greater than Jesus. The Father is more important than Jesus. It's no, this is just the, we call it the divine economy where God gives his salvation and accomplishes his salvation in a very particular way. And that means the Father does some things, the Son does some things, the Spirit does some things, always unified, but you're always referencing their distinct personhoods, right? So the Spirit did not you know, die on the cross. The father did not die on the cross, but the son did. And yet, you know, they're all unified in this purpose, um, this plan of salvation. So he says, I am doing what has been given to me by the father because I am the obedient son of God. I do exactly what needs to be done um, because that is the will of God. Um, Perfect obedience is what Jesus is demonstrating here. Um, That's really what it means to submit to the father's will. Um, which is just a little side reference. When we see that word from Paul, I believe it's in um, Ephesians where he talks about um, husbands, uh, love your wives and wives submit to your husbands. People take that submit as inferiority. Um, but we, we see you know, in, in various other uses of the word submission, um, Jesus submits to the Father. That doesn't mean he's inferior. Which means he is where he's supposed to be, which is what submission and marriage is. Sorry, a little side side note there um, that came up as I was um, researching here. But the entire thing is maybe summed up. I am always doing the things that are pleasing to him. Um, God, the son of God does not do what is pleasing to himself. He does what is pleasing to the father, um, which is exactly what the Lord desires for us. We don't do what pleases ourselves. Um, we do what pleases God. We follow the obedience of Jesus. We look to what is Jesus doing um, and how is he being faithful to the will of God? And we have to recognize and just acknowledge this difficult reality. Being faithful to the will of God could get you killed, quite frankly. That's exactly what happened to Jesus. Doesn't mean it will, but that might be where the will of God leads you. But then the flip side is what happened to Jesus after he was killed He was raised from the dead um, so that we will not die in our sins. We will live forever. um, Even if we are died for being faithful, even if we're killed for being faithful to Jesus, Jesus promises that um, as I have been raised, so you also will be raised. Um, And that's really just a wonderful thing. You will not die in your sins. Um, That's a big takeaway here. Not just what is the identity of Jesus, but what difference does that make? Uh, why is Jesus coming? Why is he revealing himself as the son of God? And he says, so that, you know, the gospel says you may have life in his name. And that's the comfort of this. Um, we are not in that same precarious situation as the Jewish hearers who are rejecting him. We, by God's grace, have that gift of faith. And we are in the position where God has given us salvation um, and we will not die in our sins. Um, and the great, the great reality is God is going to bring us into a new creation where there's no sin. Not only will you not die in your sins, 
um, you will be raised to a world without sin. Um, and that's kind of the, the, the now, not yet reality that we deal with as Christians. We call, um, we call Jesus coming into the world um, and delivering us from sin and death uh, something that's proleptic. It's kind of, it, it's kind of a, a, a snapshot of what is to come. There's a, there's a partial fulfillment of what is on the way, and we see it in Jesus. They, he's called the firstborn of creation. That means Jesus, when he rose from the dead, that's the beginning of the new creation. Jesus rising with a body that is free from the corruption of sin. Uh, he will never die again. That's exactly what the new creation is going to be like. We will rise from the dead. And not just us, but the entire creation is going to be free from sin's corruption. And that's what the Son of God ultimately came to do, to deliver us from our sins and restore all of God's good creation um, to a sinless state. So thanks be to God that we will not die in our sins, but we will have everlasting life. We, you know, we have that guarantee from God and we get to look forward to that. What a blessing. Yeah. And again, as you were saying at the outset of that section, that we know these things because the Son of Man has been lifted up. And certainly that doesn't deny the resurrection by any means, but that act that Jesus was lifted up on the cross for our sins reveals to us most clearly who God is as our Savior, the one who is willing to die for us sinners, that we might believe in him and live forever with him. Pastor Joel Heckman is pastor at St. John's Lutheran Church in Okarchi, Oklahoma, helping us today to study John chapter 8, verses 21 to 29. Pastor Heckman, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you, Tim. It was a, it was a pleasure to be on. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about the gospel according to St. John, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.